0: Well, good morning, everyone. Morning, Dave. <laughs> I always wonder who's going to shout out when I say good morning. We'll have a competition another Sunday for them. Uh, this week, I found myself thinking about a family vacation that we had, I had with my family growing up. And that year, we went to the States. We visited some extended family down there. And a part of that trip, we spent one day in Hartford, Connecticut. Now this is where the story might go a little bit weird for some of you, um, because we spent the afternoon, a rainy afternoon in Hartford, Connecticut, walking around a cemetery in downtown Hartford, Connecticut, looking for names on headstones. I'm not sure who the people were. I don't know if they were family. I don't know if they were famous people. But my parents gave us a list of names of headstones, and we walked around doing that thing you do with a piece of paper on a headstone, or at least some people do. I don't know if you do it, where you put a piece of paper on and you just rub it to try to get the information on it. Has anybody else, just for my own, well, my own understanding, had a family vacation where you've walked around a cemetery doing this? Okay, good. Oh, one person. Whew. Oh, two. The rest of your family doesn't have their hands up, though, man. <laughs> Either they're, you're you're not telling the truth, or they're not copping to that. Uh, yeah, that's that's what we did that one day, and uh, and, and you know what? It, knowing my family, that doesn't sound abnormal because we we have done. Oh, that's the only time we ever did that. Let me just say that, okay? But I always always joke that growing up, I've been to every historical village in southern Ontario. Any pioneer village that you could drive to within an hour of our house, we have been to that like doing history type things exploring history type things is sort of what my family did that was a part of who we were and what we what we did and um I can tell you at the time, I didn't appreciate that very much. I mean, it's like, oh, we're going to another one of those places. Uh, But looking back, that has been a part, that has formed who I am in a lot of ways, where I have grown an appreciation for history, understanding the history and the stories of places and people in, in ways that I don't think I would have otherwise if I hadn't had those experiences. Now, I don't think my siblings have quite had that experience. They wouldn't have looked back at that and said, that was really, you know, we've, we keep doing that. But I do, to the point that whenever we drive by one of those historic plaques, you know, you see there's a sign that says a historic plaque somewhere, I'm always tempted to pull over. And... My wife wife is wonderful because if we're walking and we see a historic plaque, we have to stop, don't we? In fact, the last time I did us a favor, I met halfway as we were walking. I could see it coming, and I read it as we were walking, so we never actually broke stride. So I thought that was a pretty good compromise. Now, all of this is to illustrate how our families can shape who we are. You know, love them or can't stand them, our families play a a huge role in influencing who we are and what we're going to be about. They are a part of who we are today, and as we look to the future, they're going to be a part of the legacy that we leave behind. And so this morning, as we continue looking at the wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at what Proverbs has to say about our family relationships. Now, before we get into it, I just want to acknowledge that as we talk about family relationships, the reality is that some of us are going to start to think of some of the things that we have regrets about. You know, things that in hindsight we wish would have gone differently or we wish that we could have done, we would have ourselves done differently. And you know what? That, that's life. And so uh, as a bit of an aside, I want to encourage us this morning to, to, to do a few things with maybe those regrets that might come to mind as we reflect on our family relationships. And the first is to be gracious with ourselves. You know, we only know the things that we know now, uh, but we didn't, we didn't know some of those things then. We don't we didn't know everything that we know that now then, right? We, of course, would look back and we would have handled situations differently. We would have had conversations differently. We would have responded to things differently, but we just didn't know it then. You know, we, who we are now is a result of growing and learning, and so we need to be gracious with past self, or our past selves. The second is to make amends where, where possible. You know, as we talk today, you might find yourself feeling prompted to, to reach out to somebody and, and to acknowledge that past self didn't handle a situation very well. Maybe current self isn't handling a situation very well. And so I'd encourage us to, to acknowledge that prompting, to act on it, and to make amends uh, when necessary. Lastly, no one to seek help. You know, for some of us, as we talk about our family experiences, we, we realize that our past has been hard and traumatic. Maybe our present is hard and traumatic. And so what would be beneficial for us is to sit down with somebody who can help us untangle our past and somebody who's a trained professional. And now, let me just say, um, as a pastor, I'm, a gr- I'm great at listening. But that's, I can be a sympathetic listener. But there are people who are much better trained at this stuff than I am. And so if you are looking to talk with somebody besides having a sympathetic listener, we actually have a resource sheet that I would love to pass along to you. And let me just say, counseling is a good thing. Therapy is a good thing. There should be no stigma to it. I, this week, called my therapist and set up the next appointment. All right? And so that's the little prompt. Know when to seek help. Now, my ultimate hope is, as we reflect on what we're going to talk about today, that it's going to help us know how to engage our relationships tomorrow and beyond better. Because I really do believe that what we each want is we want real, uh, genuine, and life-giving relationships with our families. That's what we want. And so today, our big idea is that our family relationships contain the power to help us thrive. And that's what we're going to explore. And when I say us thrive, I'm not just referring to myself here. I'm talking about all of us. These family relationships flow in multiple directions. And they can help each person who's involved in these relationships thrive. And so we're going to look at four lessons from the the book of Proverbs about family relationships. And for some of them, we're going to track with some specific family relationships. The first lesson we're going to look at this morning is that we have the power to help our partner, our partners Flourish. Now, one thing that might jump out to us as we read through the Bible, and I think it's especially true as we read through the book of Proverbs, is that it is written within the context of a patriarchal society. And as a result, a lot of the wisdom given to spouses in Proverbs on face value seem to be a little bit one-sided. Now that said, as we explore and reflect on the whole message of Scripture, we, we realize and we believe that God's value is, uh, for a person is not based on their gender, and his expectations for us is not based on our gender. And so as we consider what the wisdom of Proverbs has to say about a relationship like marriage or long-term relationships like marriage, I would encourage us to be inclusive in our thinking here. When we look at what Proverbs has to say about this special relationship, we see that qualities like fidelity, dependability, integrity, and gentleness, and other really good things come to the forefront. All of these are qualities that I think we would say contribute to a good relationship between spouses and make life better for both people who are involved. Proverbs chapter 12 says, "...a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones." You know, it's a fun one to read, isn't it? (laughs) You know, this verse specifically speaks to the character of a wife, but I think it would be silly for us to think that the character of a husband doesn't matter. In fact, other pieces of Scripture really actually talk about the character of a husband. Because the husband of both parties involved matters. And so we can extend this verse to understand that how it applies to both parties in a marriage type of relationship, saying that your character, our character matters in this, and it matters because each individual in this relationship has the ability to make the life of their partner either better or worse, a crown or decay in their bones. We have the ability in these relationships to make the life of our partners either better or worse. Now, as we reflect on this point, I would challenge those of us who are married to resist the urge to to think about how this might apply to our spouse, okay? Uh, Rather, and I think this is where this can apply to those of us who are not yet married and maybe at some point might find ourselves thinking, I might want a long-term relationship with somebody. I think that this proverb prompts us to think about our own character and what kind of partner we are going to be to that person that we have a long-term commitment to. Or the person that we hope to have a long-term commitment to. See, the relationship that we have with our significant other is an important one. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of power that exists in that partnership. And we have the ability to be somebody who helps another person grow and flourish and become somebody wonderful. And so the question is, how are we doing that? Or maybe... Or maybe we have to think about it this way. How might our character, how might our our attitudes or whatever be holding somebody back from being all that they could be? Again, we have the power to help somebody flourish here. And we need to keep that in mind in in the context of this important and critical relationship. Now, as anybody who's ever listened to me speak knows, we have two young kids, right? And believe it or not, I try really hard not to tell a lot of stories about them. I know, some weeks it's really hard, because here's the thing. You know, as parents of young kids, that is a lot of our lives. It really is. And they tell, they do so many things that are just gift-wrapped sermon illustrations, like, right? Like, really, they do. But one of the things that I'm, I'm warning that I need to keep in mind here is that my priority as a person is to them as their parent. It's not that they become walking, talking sermon illustrations, but that my priority is to honor them and to create space for them to become the best version of themselves. That is my priority. And so for all of us who have kids or think that one day we might have kids, Proverbs reminds us of the role that we have in helping our kids grow. And let me expand this for a moment because I think it goes beyond just those of us who might be biological parents, to include aunts and uncles, grandparents, mentors, family, friends, people who have, close, have intimate relationships with, with a family and have the opportunity to influence children. This could include those of our, our, our volunteers who, who volunteer with our kids ministry, our student ministry. We So many of us have important roles to play in the lives of our kids. And Proverbs teaches us that we have a responsibility to nurture our kids. We have a responsibility to nurture them. And this responsibility is something that takes intentionality, it takes effort, and it's absolutely essential. See, without the investment of people who love them like parents and like these other folks that we just named, kids will struggle to be equipped to engage life in healthy ways. And their growth will be stunted. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, start, off, start children off the way they should go, and even when they are, they are old, they will not turn from it. Now let me remind us that Proverbs, the Proverbs are principles. They're not promises and guarantees. You know, we know really good parents who honestly have tried their best and their kids still got into trouble and they, and they still struggled, right? But that said it's generally true that when parents and other adults invest in uh, getting their children off to a good start, that these kids have a better chance at success in life. And so all that is to say that we can't underestimate, we should never underestimate the influence that we have in nurturing our children so that they can be all that they can be. We have the opportunity to, to set them off on a good start. Now, part of this nurture... A part of this nurture involves what can be called discipline. In fact, as we know from our own experience, from time to time, what is truly loving is for somebody to take us aside and to reprimand us, you know, to teach us, it, 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 to teach us what was right and what was wrong about a scenario, and in the process, teaching us what responsible behavior looks like and what self-control might look like. And Proverbs 29 includes this. It says, to discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Now, I think it's important to note that when we talk about discipline, the focus here is not about being strict or about punishment. You know, nothing good happens when a relationship, when our relationship with our kids is defined by either of these things. In fact, the Apostle Paul, I often have this word, these words go through my mind, says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't wear out your kids. I don't know how many times that verse goes through the back of my mind, usually when I'm wearing out my kids. Rather, the desired outcome is a child who is able to engage life in the best and healthiest and most whole way possible. The reality is, is that the best lessons that we learned from the role models that were a part of our lives weren't necessarily the things that they said to us, were they? It was the, the example that they set. It was their presence with us in real life situations. You know, we learned how to respond to stressful situations by watching other people respond to stressful situations. We learned to value money by watching the example and the spending habits of other folks. We learned how to treat others because we watched the interactions, we, the, the interactions that went on around us. You know, as parents and as people of influence of the, in the lives of children, we need to be mindful and take seriously the reality that our example has the greatest impact on who they're going to become. We need to hold tight to that and keep that in mind. Now Proverbs doesn't just speak to the to parents about the parent child relationship. In fact, there's quite a bit in Proverbs that is speaking to children about how they are to relate in to their parents. And again, there's a temptation here when we read these words, because we might find ourselves wanting to nudge somebody, right, and say, hey, pay attention to this point here, um, as if they are directives or they are commandments. But I would suggest that ultimately what these Proverbs are getting at are the ways in which children, and I would suggest that this applies to all of us regardless of age, the ways in which children can be contributing to this important relationship that exists between parents and their children, And so our third lesson is, is as children, how we relate to our parents matters. Proverbs 23 says, May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. You know, as children, we have the power to bring joy and to bring honor to our parents. And this is a whole lot more than remembering to call, you know, remembering to visit. It's a whole lot more than just doing what we were told to do. But it's honoring the investment of love and time that they have poured into us. And in many cases, we have the opportunity to do this while they're still with us. But it could also include the fact that we are trying to honor their legacy even when they're gone. Now, for some of us, this is easy. Because you know what? Our parents have been great and we have a really good relationship with them. But this idea, let's just acknowledge, is a whole lot harder when our parents haven't been so great. And so I want to be careful here. I, I hate, I hate walking this line of overly simplifying things, so I want to be clear here. I want to be careful that, so that some of us don't walk away this morning thinking that we need to be okay with some of the really hard things that we've experienced or that we just need to ignore some of the hardships that we have endured or we just need to get over it because that's not fair and that's not healthy. It really isn't. But one of the things that I've witnessed is how some folks have this ability, and I think it's spirit. It's spirit. Um, empowered This have this ability to acknowledge, yes, how they've been wounded by a parent and maybe even uh, grieve a relationship that wasn't what it ought to have been, and at the same time pursue what it means to ha- have a heart of love and to honor their parent. It's not easy. And what they do is they refuse to join the slander or the name-calling. They refuse to trade insult with insult. They set up meaningful boundaries in that relationship so that they can take care of themselves and at the same time looking for opportunities that they might also be able to extend care and honor to a, to a parent so that the parent doesn't suffer. Again, I want to be clear. This looks like walking a tightrope. And it's not a one-size-fits-all thing that just works. And so just keep that in mind. But from time to time, I see a wonderful glimpse of how this is possible. And I think, honestly, it's only possible because God's at work helping navigate things in these relationships. Now, we should want to bring joy to our parents simply as an expression of love. But there's also a a sense that when we invest in the betterment of someone close to us, that it isn't just for them. That we end up receiving something in return. And this can be very much true of our relationships with our parents. And so, how we relate to our parents, it, it matters for them, and it matters also for us. You know, one of the things that I'm noticing right now is the example my parents are setting and how they are coming alongside and they're caring for my grandparents. They're caring for their parents at this stage of life. And I know what my parents are doing is that they are simply acting in love towards their their parents, but something else is happening in the process. See, I'm watching. My siblings are watching. We're seeing how this all plays out. And what they're doing is they're modeling for me what does it mean to care for an aging parent in such a way that's going to influence how me and my siblings are going to eventually care for them when the time comes. See, their love and their devotion is going to be multiplied. First, through the relationship that they have with their parents, who they are in the process of bringing joy to. But secondly, as their children witness this and emulate it later, these relationships are intertwined. And again, we often think about relations being, relationships being really linear, don't we? They go in one direction, but relationships don't. They're often a tangled web, for better or for worse. And so all of this is to say that how we engage in our relationship with our parents, it matters, and it matters no matter what age and stage of life that we are in. Back in 2014, Uh, A website called Hotels.com came out with a mascot that they called Captain Obvious Uh, and he was a part of their ad campaigns for quite some time and so here we got Captain Obvious, Hotels.com, it's on the internet. you got that everybody okay websites.com internet yeah okay there you go you know at some point in time you may have heard someone say thanks captain obvious as a way of of, uh, of referring to the fact that somebody said something so obvious that it was evi- evident that it maybe didn't need to be said but here's the thing you know, uh, sometimes it really would benefit us for somebody to state the obvious. To Why? Because, well, maybe we've forgotten about it. We forgot we knew that. We forgot that experience. And it needs to be brought into our minds all over again. It needs to be something that becomes a part of our thought process and our considerations. And in a sense, I think that could be said about everything that we've talked about so far this morning. Maybe this entire sermon series from the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of stuff here. It's obvious. You might be nodding your head and say, yeah, we know this already. But there's a sense that we're maybe being reminded of things that maybe we haven't given consideration to much recently. I think this can be certainly true of our final lesson this morning. That our family interactions can leave lasting impressions. Our family interactions can leave lasting impressions. You know, we understand that as wonderful as family relationships can be and how critical they are to our development and our growth as people, that they also have the potential to cause some real harm. And so Proverbs 18 kind of speaks to this. A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. You know, this proverb refers to two things that will virtually never give way a fortified city, and the barred gates of a castle. Two things that will virtually never give way. And it uses this imagery to describe the potential impact of a relational breakdown. See, within family families, disagreements happen, right? We, we know this. But what we need to be aware of is the, the potential that disagreements have to wound others in, in such a way that produces anger and bitterness in and, and, and ways that just that last, And with this in setting of of intimate family relationships, these types of of interactions have the potential to do lasting damage, causing people to put their guard up, to protect themselves, act in ways to protect themselves, uh, being afraid to let people in. It's not just uh, a question of, like, having your guard up against somebody who is the individual who may have caused this harm, but it might get in the way of other relationships being healthy and whole. I mean, if that person who's close to me could hurt me like that, why would I open myself up to somebody else that I don't know? You know, the lasting legacy of family conflict can, be that, can mean that we are afraid to let other people in. It can mean that we have difficulty having long-lasting relationships. And again, this is my plug for therapy. It's a good thing. You know, the reality is when that happens, we have a hard difficulty being our best selves. And so, as we reflect on the family relationships that we want, we need to be mindful that how we handle these, these relationships, these special relationships, they require consideration. They require that we are mindful and we are careful about how we interact with one another. Proverbs 17 says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So, drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. You know, this proverb is not saying that we should never deal with the issues that might come up in a relationship, but it does warn us about the damage that can occur when we choose to pursue being right over our relationship with others. Instead, if we reflect on the relationships that we might have with members of our family, those who've had a positive impact on us, I think we would identify someone whose love for us is what stood out, what stands out the most. And we saw it in the way that they responded to us with compassion when we were wrong or maybe we got into trouble. They responded to us with compassion. Or maybe we saw it in their kindness to us that made us feel safe and cared for. Or maybe it was how when they were right and we were clearly wrong, their attitude did not convey a superiority complex that they thought, well, I'm better than you because you were wrong. That never came out. Or maybe it was in how they recognized how fragile and insecure we were feeling and they handled us with care and gentleness. Or maybe it was their patience. I mean, they were slow to, they're they're really slow to get fed up with us even when we don't get something or we make the same mistake over and over and over again. Other people might say, "Eh, I need a break or they might walk away from us but they are patient with us, they give us forgiveness and love even when we aren't sure why somebody might do that. The Apostle Paul puts it this way to those who are followers of Jesus. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. The reality is that relationships don't come easy. In fact, what sometimes seems to come really easy is conflict and dysfunction. But one of the things that Jesus does in us, for those of us who are followers is Jesus, is that the Holy Spirit, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is God himself working in us to bring about a transformation. It's a transformation that moves us in, in, into alignment with God's own character. And it begins with our hearts. And then it it moves into our patterns of thinking, into our attitudes, into our default responses, and even into our actions. And it's not something that happens overnight. We sometimes wish that this process would just be, like, done. But it doesn't happen overnight. Instead, it's a lifelong process with God working with us and us saying, yes, God, come and do what you can do in our lives. Transform me. But something that God does as we open up ourselves to Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. Transformation is possible and it's possible in our relationships with our families. And so I'd invite us this morning as we reflect on this, as we reflect on maybe the things that we think are really great about our family relationships and maybe the things that that don't seem so great we wish would be better. I would invite us to reflect on these realities in light of our relationship with Jesus, inviting him to come into our lives maybe in new ways and show us new patterns. Invite, invite him to transform our thinking and our attitudes and, and, and be open to how he wants to work, in, work through us. Sometimes that happens in wonderful ways as we just have quiet time. Sometimes that works. It works as we walk along somebody else and we talk through the difficulties that we're having. Sometimes it happens, you know, just as we work through the moments in life, God is at work uh, walking with us, using the, the different things that we experience to shape us and to change our thinking. You know, God is at work in our stories in wonderful ways and in in ways that sometimes we notice and sometimes we don't. All we're doing right now, all I'm inviting us to do right now, is be saying, God, help me to be open to how you are at work. And Lord, may you uh, use that to shape my family, our family relationships, so that they are good and whole, and that those that are in, involved can thrive as you hope we will thrive. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you for who you are, Lord, and for the wonderful gifts that you have given us, the things that we enjoy about life, Lord, and one of those things that that many of us enjoy is the relationships with our families. Lord, we thank you for the people that you put in our lives that have helped us become who we are today and who are a part of our journey, helping us to see things in new ways, helping us to learn the things that we need. Lord, people who encourage us and challenge us and love us and are there for us when we are feeling fragile, God, we thank you for them. Lord, we also want to acknowledge today that that for some of us, family relationships is a really sensitive thing where they aren't what we want them to be. That there are people that we wish that we are in better communication with. There are people that are, that, where the relationship is strained. And there are some folks who we just don't have a relationship with anymore. And God, as much as that can be justified, it downright sucks. And so, Lord, we invite you to meet us in this place of hurt. And, Lord, that you would do what only you can do to bring healing and wholeness into those places. Lord, as we consider the relationships and the role that we have in the relationships with our family, our kids, our parents, our our spouses, our siblings, Lord, God, would you help us to be somebody? Would you create in us uh, 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 just a love, a deep love for you and a love for people that we can be someone who, uh, people who are cheering other people on? that we can be a part of seeing people flourish and growing into who you have designed them to be. God, we want to be a part of other people's stories and to see the good things that you are doing. God, help us to see. Help us to recognize where you're at work. Lord, help us to be a part of it. Lord, in all these things, we want to say thank you for who you are. Again, God, we are blessed with so many good things, and we want to acknowledge that and say thank you for it. And in doing so, Lord, we are turning our attention to you, declaring that we love you, that we trust you to take care of us and the easy stuff and the stuff that's downright hard. Thank you, Lord. Amen.